Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work, where we highlight the issues important to the skilled trades our society depends on and always seeks to put Colorado first. Joining us today is Ted Lighty. CEO of the Colorado Association of Home Builders and HBA of Metro Denver. Welcome to Tradeswork, Ted. Thanks for having me, Dave. Good to be with you. Ted, you and I have worked together on a number of issues over the years, but our listeners may not have any kind of perspective on the home builders and you individually. Tell us how your professional journey ended up at the Colorado Association of Home Builders. Like a lot of us, I was a congressional aide. Before that, actually, I was a legislative aide, intern at the Capitol, um, got to know kind of the ins and outs of how the Capitol works. As a congressional aide, I had a pretty broad portfolio, and a lot of, of what I did was work with chambers and economic development groups on their issues. Um, that led to a job with the realtors. Uh, I spent about a decade there in public policy, finishing as the vice president of government affairs, and then you know, in that time, worked a lot with the builders. Um, and when that job opened up, it was a pretty natural transition over to the builders. And here I am six years later. And you recently, oh, I shouldn't say recently, just in the last uh, number of years, you, you co-located with the Metro Denver HBA. And talk to us a little bit about how you do both of those roles. What do they say? Location, location, location. In real estate, all things are local, more so even in the home building world, right? We deal with local governments all the time, permitting, you know, land use, all that fun stuff. The the job opened up at the HBA Metro Denver, and one of my colleagues in Colorado Springs had the bright idea that I should run both the state association and the HBA Metro Denver. So we have what they call the shared management agreement. So technically, I'm still an employee of the Colorado Association of Home Builders, and I'm contracted out for the HBA Metro Denver. But it's been really great for me because with the state association, I dealt primarily with the legislature and the, the executive branch, you know, a lot of the work that we do in, in the advocacy space in the local government realm. So being able to be part of the HBA Metro Denver gives me kind of that new uh, or has given me a, a broader perspective and probably a more important perspective about how to effectively advocate on behalf of the industry. Well, there's no shortage of fires to put out, I'm sure. Talk to us a little bit about housing uh, and housing prices and housing availability, because for our listeners, that's probably a top of mind for us and many Coloradans. In your opinion, what has contributed to the current environment of high prices and low inventory? Uh, it's a lot of things. So in residential real estate, residential construction, we talk about the five L's. So you've got land, labor, lumber, or all materials, loans, or capital, um, and then laws and regulations, or what I term in Colorado local government. Um, all of them are and have been for quite some time um, proving to be pretty big challenges for us. Land, really, you know, we've got a ton of land in Colorado, but we don't have a lot of improved land or a lot of lots ready for vertical development and to provide new housing. Beyond that, it takes a lot longer to entitle a piece of dirt and turn it into an improved lot so that you can build more housing. Um, that comes with a lot of carrying costs, comes with increased capital costs because investors want a, a shorter you know, repayment period than five or seven years that it can mm -hmm. take to entitle a piece of dirt. So land is always or has been for quite some time a very big challenge for us. 
lumber, all materials, um, somewhat not the issues that it was, but it's still, if you pull builders, they'll say that it's one of their top three issues is the, both the cost and availability. Folks will remember coming out of the pandemic or kind of really squarely in the p- pandemic where lumber costs went, mm-hmm. um, they skyrocketed. Those have come down out of the stratosphere, but still elevated to where they were pre-pandemic. Um, all the other, I think the top 10 inputs, uh, material inputs into the, into a home, um, are still up above 20% or more when you average them out. Wow. So, uh, the cost and availability, you know, one of the bright spots of, of kind of the slowdown we find ourselves in, or the hopeful silver lining is that the, the supply chain kind of resets itself and becomes a little more sane. Loans, right? That's, that's probably the number one issue right now. The cost of capital, especially for borrowers or buyers. We're up in the 7% range, but, you know, we'd been so long in the three, four, sometimes upper twos um, that it really had a chilling effect on demand. You know, it created kind of those golden handcuffs, um, as some have termed it in the media, uh, where folks are saying there's no way. I'd love to move, but I'm not giving up my 3%. Um, for a 7% mortgage. Um, so it's required the builders to be a little more creative and innovative in how they produce their, or how they sell their products, right? Doing a two for one, or what we call a two one buy down, right? A, they get a kind of a teaser rate for two years. It goes up next year and then they either refi or, or go to wherever the current rates are, or they're giving incentives. They're, you know, putting in appliances or they're putting in, uh, granite countertops, maybe mm-hmm. where they weren't going to put granite countertops in just to try to move product right now. Um, so loans have been really bad and, and a big, really big challenge for us, um, especially since you know last spring or spring of 2022, really, when we started to see rates um, not really creep up, but shoot up. And one of the interesting things there with the Fed policy is they've increased their federal funds rate. Um, they're trying to fight inflation, but 90% of inflation right now is shelter inflation, which is the cost of housing. And the only way to bring down the cost of housing or reduce shelter inflation is to build more housing. Mm. And people aren't going to build more housing if there's not the demand because rates are, you know, yep. sticking at 7%. So we've got a kind of a, one of those paradoxes of public policy going on right now that we see all too often. Um, and then laws and regulations. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But, you know, exactions, government exactions, permit fees, inspection timelines, um, the cost and time that it takes to entitle, as I talked about earlier, entitle a piece of property, all of that kind of makes a nice, perfect storm to uh, see the cost of housing go where it's gone. You know, 625000 I think, at the end of August was the median price of a home in the metro area, um, and that was single-family detached, and condos are up to 425000 and that's because we don't have enough. Well, it sounds like, uh, as you described it, a perfect storm for us. So, so let's say today we elected you as the benevolent dictator in Colorado. What actions would you take to address affordability and availability? Yeah, I mean, simply put, and a little bit in jest, I would have government get the heck out of the way of housing providers. And that's all housing providers, not just the builders that I work on behalf of. A little more color behind that, housing's a continuum. So you need your affordable blow rate, you know, affordable housing, government subsidized housing, whatever you want to talk, however you want to term it. Um, you need your entry level housing. You need your middle income housing that's getting a lot of attention right now. And you still need your luxury housing. All too often, I think our, our public policy around real estate or housing costs, housing supply focuses on one area of that continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't just focus on one area of a continuum because it's a continuum. 
and we need to focus our public policy attention, if you will, on the entirety of the continuum. And we believe the best way to do that is to reduce regulations. 24%, almost a quarter of a price of a single family detached home can be pegged to government regulations from the federal government all the way down to local government. Here in Colorado, a local control state, that's much more heightened on the local control side. Mm -hmm. That number rises to 33% of the cost of multifamily housing. So apartments, Mm -hmm condominiums, that type of thing. What could we do? We, we always talk about the cost of housing or how can we reduce the cost of housing? How do we take, make it more attainable, more affordable? And the point I like to make um, to policymakers is you could have this inclusionary zoning policy and how you know 15% of 100 units, those people can win the lottery and get a place to live. Or we can start talking about how we reduce you know tens of thousands of dollars in the cost of a home and make it more affordable to great mm-hmm. many more people. So that's what I would say. If if I got to wave my wand or or whatever dictators get to wave, um, I would say let's let's partner with housing providers. Let's reduce the red tape and and streamline some of these regulations. That we're not saying there shouldn't housing shouldn't be regulated. There there should be codes and standards, of course, but there's things that we can be doing a lot better. So. Um, we both run membership organizations. What's currently top of mind for your members? A number of things. <laughs> Interest rates and labor. It's been an interesting few years now, right? There were the pandemic. We thought everything would fall apart. It didn't. It actually kind of put the housing market on steroids uh, and the pace of production demand continue to outpace it, um, regardless of how quickly we could build. I'm sure we'll get into labor a little bit more, but we don't have enough labor to meet demand right now. We went from that really, really fast pace of just trying to produce as much as we could, and it still wasn't enough, and we had the supply chain problems and all of that, to then almost flipping a switch, you know, or I guess you could say pumping the brakes or really you know, slamming the brakes. We saw the rates come up. So then it became, okay, we still got... We're spinning our wheels now, kind of, but now the demand has kind of gone away, um, but we still need to produce housing, right? Mm-hmm. I, one of the best things I heard from a, lot, a couple of my production builders was, we're home builders. We're going to build homes. Our margins may be thinner, but that's what we do. Mm-hmm. So we're going to continue to go out there and build homes, but we're not building at the pace that we need to. So I wouldn't say that our, our biggest challenges or biggest worries are anything different than what we've already covered today. Our, the men and women in our industry are amazing people. They get curveballs every day, and sometimes I don't know why they they continue doing what they do to try to provide housing to more and more Coloradans, but they do, and we we should thank them all for it. So you mentioned labor a couple times. So talk to us about the importance of skilled trades to your members. We are – our National Association does a survey every year with our builders, and we compare the the prior year with the upcoming year – um, and between 2021 and 2022, labor for a long time in that survey has been a top three or top five issue. It is still second, and especially in the Mountain West, only two rates right now. Mm. I think 98% of builders have concerns, significant concerns on rates and where rates are, rates will go. And second to that, somewhere in the 80 percentile, mm. is the cost and availability of labor. So skilled trades, um, just as I'm sure in your sector of our industry, our skilled trades only get older every year. Um, we've done a poor job replacing our skilled trades with younger workforce. Um, I think all too often, you know, it starts in the high schools and we've stopped giving kids alternative pathways or for too long. I think we're doing that now. I think your group does a great job with that. I think HBAs around the state, um, partnering with our friends in the commercial industry have done a good job of trying to bring career technical education back into the high schools. Um, we've got other builders like Oakwood Homes that 
um, had the call, well, it used to be called the Colorado Home Building Academy, now Build Strong Academy, where they work with those beyond high school, maybe reskilling or upskilling those that are coming out of the military, those that have been incarcerated, those that are just looking for a new career. Really, we just, we need to show kids that there's other, there's alternative pathways and they're really good career opportunities. Yeah. You know, you and I both went to college. Many people did. I'm glad I did. It provided me really good opportunities, but there are other opportunities out there. I'm really excited. I have a junior in high school. She's going to go to the new career technical education um, school next year and take courses through Littleton Public Schools. And we need to, to help as an industry, as a state, as a federal government, provide resources so that we can provide those alternative pathways or at least you know, introduce kids to what alternative pathway, uh, careers they could be in it. Not just construction trades, but obviously that's where we focus our attention. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir there for sure. So Ted, it's now fall, which means soon enough, another legislative session is around the corner. What do you expect to see underneath the dome in 2024? Probably more attempts to make housing more expensive and not with that stated goal, of course, because, you know, rarely is that the stated goal or the intention of some of these policies. But we've seen way too many of them come through that have that impact. What I hope to see is a broad coalition that fights, uh, continues to fight for further construction litigation reform. I, I broached it a little bit earlier, probably glossed over it. But, um, you know, we got 175,000 to over 200,000 housing unit deficit, depending on whose numbers you're looking at. Um, and that number is Colorado-based number. We need to build more and more units. Um, one thing that we haven't built a lot of are for-sale condominiums or for-sale multifamily. It used to be 20 to 25% of our housing starts in Colorado pre-recession. Um, we did some things at the legislature outside of the recession that also contributed to condominium construction going down to about 2% of starts. Um, we find ourselves somewhere between 3 and 5% of starts right now. So if you look at that deficit of where the housing deficit that we have, which has really contributed to the high cost increases that we've seen, I mean, 40% over a few years, no asset should ever really probably grow by that, that amount, mm-hmm. but it's because we have a dearth of supply. So I'm not saying that if we would have continued building 20, you know, if condos wouldn't have represented 20 to 25% of starts between 2007 and now that we wouldn't have a housing deficit, but I sure as hell know that it would not be the deficit we face now. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we have the deficit we face now, we've seen that remarkable increase in the cost of housing. Um, so we need to do more. We need to build more condos, and there's there's some reasons why we're not. Um, and I think it leads to a need for public policy change. So I hope there's a broad coalition down at the Capitol that's willing to, and, and enough legislators that are willing to take this issue on. Not only is it important to keep, you know, housing costs down, but it's important to provide folks the ability to, to own homes. Home ownership is often, you know, on that ladder of building wealth. Um, generational wealth sometimes comes from the ability to own homes. And we've got quite a disparity right now in those that can own homes and those that can't. We talked about earlier the median cost of a price of a, a home or a single family detached home at 625000 And condos have risen to about 425000 We talked earlier about rates, right, at 7%. I don't know what the numbers are, but I can tell you a whole heck of a lot more people can afford a home at 425000 than they can at 625000 So all this kind of begs that there's a huge demand for entry-level product. And when land costs are so great and all those other cost pressures that I talked about earlier are so great, you really have to build that that density. Um, And again, 
that's how you're going to get folks, you know, kind of on the ladder of wealth building um, and create that generational wealth yeah. down the line is if you give them that ability to get on the rung of home ownership. And then when they're ready to, to shed the condo, they're probably going to be able to sell it to, you know, a senior couple that's overhoused right now because they're still in, yeah. a, in their five-bedroom place. And that's how that housing continuum works, right? We just free up housing at every stop along the way, and that produces um, the housing that we need to, to contain the costs so more people can afford homes. A lot to digest and unpack there for sure. Uh, the bottom line is we need more options. And we need options at a lower price point uh, that really helps to kind of unlock the pathway. I mean, my first home was a condominium I bought in Westminster uh, when I was 24 years old. And today, I don't think that product exists for 24-year-olds. Uh, I hope I, you're I right. Will, let me interrupt you for a second. I will tell you that 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds, whatever generation we're in right now, this Gen Z those that are, are thinking about forming household formation right now are, are starting families. They want that type of product, right? All too often you hear, no, they just want to rent because they want, you know, a low maintenance lifestyle. Well, that's what condos give you as well, right? So instead mm-hmm. of just paying rent to a landlord and allowing them to build greater wealth, give them the, the, you know, the, the option to build those condos like you were, that 24-year-old Dave DeVia that could buy a condo. They will buy that. They, they want that because they do want the low-maintenance lifestyle there, right? They want to live in a walkable community. They want to live near transit and other amenities, walk to the ballpark. Um, and you can do that with condominiums. So you can't do that with single-family detached. Absolutely. We're going to switch subjects, although okay. still on policy. As you know, Colorado re- regulators and elected officials continue to seek ways in which to increase efficiency in energy and phase out fossil fuels. What would you like people to understand about those impacts for existing homes and new start construction? Just that any changes in policy, and especially in this area, have costs. What we try to help policymakers understand or what we hope that they'll understand is when you're looking at different code changes, you know, codes run on every on a three-year cycle. I think most of your audience will probably understand this and knows this because they have to work within those those confines. But every code change represents a new set of costs and a new set of challenges, right? Getting the labor properly trained um, to, to build to those new codes. So what we try to say is, right, we know that like let's use the 18 to the 21 uh, IECC or the International Energy Conservation Code. We know that in the Denver and the Colorado climate zone or largely where Colorado's in climate zone five that, you know, and we've had some builders do do some analyses based on their labor supply, their material supply, uh, their supply chain, I guess. And we know from 20 to tw- 18 to 21 code change, we talked about about at least $11,000 difference in the, in, in the cost to build. Um, if you started doing some of the, the appendices, like the net zero energy that was in the 2021 codes, like Louisville, northern metro area had enacted, that number rises to around 40 some thousand dollars difference between building to those codes. And the nominal difference or the incremental difference in efficiency, the greater efficiency is not stark, it, it's nominal. Right. It's maybe three or four percent more efficient. So to us, we're saying, you know, how much more efficiency, how much is is three or four percent worth? You know, to some policymakers, it's it's a ton. But what we would say, another statistic that our National Association studies on an annual basis for every thousand dollar increment in the median price of a home, you price out about twenty three hundred Coloradans from home ownership. Right. So if you start looking at those incremental 
increases in the costs, you're pricing more and more folks out of a home. So what I usually end my discussions at the Capitol with when we're talking about energy efficiency or electrification and all that is, yes, you are right. If you can live in a more energy efficient home, your costs, your operating costs are less. But if you can't afford the home in the first place, you're never going to get to enjoy that energy efficiency. So let's make sure that we're balancing costs with efficiency in anything that we do in this space. Ted, you mentioned costs implications for code compliance. Mm -hmm. And earlier in our discussion, you talked about 25% to 33% being in regulation. So is the 11 to 40% or 11,000 to 40,000 code compliance costs raise your 25 to 33% or is that factored in there? It's factored in there. It's a good question. And it's how much of that, that cost, the code cost comprises that overall 24% or that 33%. I don't know. But that, that, that number that I alluded to earlier that I cited is based on total cost. Okay. That would be certainly part of that cost difference or that cost increase. No, that's helpful. So now a hard question. Uh, if you've listened to our show before, we ask each guest, you didn't probably go to elementary school and dream of being the CEO of the Colorado Association of Home Builders. What was your dream job? Yeah, I was going to be a professional baseball player or a cowboy. Cowboy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So talk more about both of those. What 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 was it that drew you to that? Uh, baseball is my first love as a sport, and that's what I probably watched the most, spent the most time trading, playing, and you know trading cards. Um, it made up a huge part of my life um, when I was younger, and that's you know every kid. I, I think most kids want to be a professional at something that mm-hmm. they love, right? And then cowboys. I mean. I've been watching The Lone Ranger since I was in diapers, so I always thought being a cowboy would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I contend that that's what you do at the Capitol already. <laughs> we do hit curveballs, that's yeah. for sure. Well, either that or a cowboy. Yeah. One, one or the other. Yeah, trying to wrangle legislators. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Ted. I appreciate your insights today and your time with us. It's great to get to know a little bit more about your industry. Thanks for having me. All right, listeners, that concludes our show today. Thank you for joining us. Please stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, and building our future. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.